Hey everyone, welcome back to the Impact Michigan podcast. This is the first episode of season four and some highlights to look forward to this upcoming season are conversations with folks leading the educational reform charge in our state, an inventor entrepreneur helping to spur the economy of Flint, and some highlights from the premier economic and policy conference in Michigan. And what would I be doing if I didn't mention intermittent? Intermittent is a grassroots volunteer-operated organization that was founded in 2016. Our mission is to unite the Midwest tech community, thoughtfully nurture its development, and highlight it as a hub of and destination for entrepreneurial talent and innovation. All in all, I'm pretty excited for this season, so without further ado, let's welcome today's guest. Today's guest is Chris Lambert, CEO of Life Remodeled. Life Remodeled is an organization whose mission is to bridge people across divides to help transform each other's lives. They do this by investing approximately $5 million in cash, labor, and materials into one Detroit neighborhood each year. If you've ever seen large groups of people wearing brightly colored shirts, working to clean shrubbery, tear down blight, remodel a high school, etc., you've probably come across life remodeled volunteers. We have a great conversation about what it means to enter a community with understanding and empathy to make sure you don't displace anybody. Listen closely because we all will learn something from this episode. Okay, with that, Let's get to the episode. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Leanne. Great to be here with you today. Yeah, Chris. So I always love to start every episode off by allowing the listeners to get some context for who our guest is. So for the listeners, do you mind telling the story of Chris Lambert? All right. I was born and raised in a very small town in northern Indiana. I ended up going to Indiana University to study business. I was getting ready to go to law school and become a real estate developer. My junior year of college, I decided to move to Australia for six months and study overseas. While I was there, I ended up having what I would call a radical encounter with God. That experience changed the whole trajectory of my life. So I ended up canceling law school, felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. I moved out to Los Angeles, studied seminary, met the woman who became my wife. We eventually felt very called to come start a church in Detroit. But before we did that, we moved to Africa for nine months. And so half of every week, I would live in a Muslim village in a mud hut with no running water in a village of Liberia. And my role was to find out what the community wanted and go get the resources to get it done. So the women were walking about a mile and a half for water um, that was very dark. And the kids were walking over five miles each way for school each day. And they had very few animals. So I was able to get the resources to get a well dug, get a bunch of animals for the community, and build a school and found a church to actually run that school. So that, for me, were really the seeds of community development, but we came and started a church in the metro Detroit area in Westland in 2007, and then it was 2010 where I got this vision for this thing we call Life Remodeled, and now here we are. Yeah, awesome. So so uh, you mentioned Life Remodeled. Do you mind explaining you know, what it is a little bit, um, the mission behind it, uh, the, the founding story? Yeah, Life Remodeled is a Detroit-based nonprofit, 
and we revitalize neighborhoods. So here's what that looks like. We focus on one neighborhood at a time. And in essence, what we're really focused on is finding out what does the community want? What do the children, youth, what do the adults want for the future? And then to implement their vision, we bring together people from the city, the suburbs, different races, different religions, different socioeconomic backgrounds. And in the process of everyone working together shoulder to shoulder, People begin to realize they like each other, they need each other. That sets up the community with foundations for for sustainability for the long term. And so we say our mission is we bridge people across divides to help transform each other's lives. Physically speaking, what that looks like is we do three things in every neighborhood. Number one, we acquire and repurpose a former community asset. And I'll give you some examples of what's happening right now. Uh, The second thing we do is we repair owner-occupied homes. The third thing is every year we mobilize 10,000 volunteers in six days to beautify four square miles around that community asset. So we've evolved tremendously since our first project in 2011. We used to be very much like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, but more holistic, building houses in six days and then taking families through all kinds of other stuff. And then we started renovating high schools in Detroit, existing high schools. And then most recently, we were given a former school building, which we're in right now together. And as you can see, you know, when listeners think school building, they should probably think about Hogwarts from Harry Potter because this thing is amazing. And this now is our new model of what we're doing moving forward to make lasting change. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Durfee Innovation Society a little bit. So it used to be the Durfee K through eight school. Now, what what was the process of turning it into the Innovation Society that it is today? So before we moved in, it was the Durfee K through eight school. Years ago, it used to be just called Durfee Middle School. There is Central High School right next door to us, which is the first high school in Detroit. In between us and Central used to be an elementary called Roosevelt. I am told by R.J. King, a local historian of Detroit, and others, this was actually the first K-12 through campus in the entire United States of America. Wow. This was also the Jewish epicenter of Detroit until the 1950s when the Jewish community moved out. And eventually population declined. Roosevelt got knocked down. So they moved the elementary kids into this building, made it a K through eight. And back in the day, Central High School used to have 4,000 high school students. Last year, they held only about 350. So the school district moved all the kids from the building we're in now into Central. So Central is now home to Durfee and Central, kindergarten through 12th grade. And we repurposed this building into what you, would, might, what you might call a, a one-stop shop for opportunity. So basically, we're the developer on the project. We're moving in the best and brightest nonprofits in Detroit into one location. And we're also moving in entrepreneurs who are creating jobs for Detroiters. So to be a tenant here, you have to focus on at least one of these three areas, either education, workforce, or human services. Some of our tenants are doing two or even three of those things, but you have to do at least one. So we're not just cheap real estate which our price actually is under market rate. That allows us to be very selective on who we want here. But we're very intentional on what this building is really about. It's about the lives that are being impacted and it will be impacted. So it is the most exciting, challenging, gut-wrenching, tear-jerking, keep-me-up-at-night, rewarding project I've ever been a part of, and I love it. Yeah. So 
Let's talk a little bit about the learning lessons that came into play with um, uh, repurposing the Durfee Innovation Society because, you know, obviously I, I do my research. And so um, with um, this thing, it, it, it is very positive and I agree that it's impacting lives. But initially, um, without more conversation, you know, some people, especially in the direct community, have a specific sort of reaction. And so let's talk a little bit about what you've learned throughout that process and listening to the community. Absolutely. So the way we ended up in this building is we originally approached the principal of the high school because we were going to renovate Central High School. Mm. And he had this great idea that he wanted us to turn the whole first floor of Central into an entrepreneurial incubator and create proximity between high school students and entrepreneurs. He wanted to morph the whole curriculum around entrepreneurism. So we said, wow, we love it, but let's make sure the school district wants this to happen. So I took it to the school district. And at the time, the interim superintendent said, we love the idea and her whole cabinet. We love it, but you can't do it at Durfee. Hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. You can't do it at Central. Central. I said, well, why not? I said, well, because we're going to move all the kids from Durfee to Central. So why don't you take Durfee? That then led into us agreeing to do it. And we realized we could actually do much more here than we've ever done. And it could make more impact than all of our projects combined. So once we agreed to move toward that direction and then solidify a lease agreement, the superintendent of the schools, Alicia Merriweather, began to tell parents and the community, Life for Models is going to repurpose this building. We're going to move the kids over to Central. And there was no pushback to that, that that was vocalized anyway. And everybody was like, okay, all right, that sounds good. But the biggest mistake we ever made was that we were not allowed to talk about this lease publicly until the deal was done. So everyone was being informed Life for Models is going to repurpose it, but no one was being told we're acquiring the real estate, let alone for $1 a year for 50 years. So we'd had a bunch of community meetings to find out from the community what the community wanted here. Maybe 30 to 50 people would show up. Then in January of 2017, it became public knowledge that we had acquired the building for $1 for 50 years. And you can only imagine how some people felt. Why the bleep didn't I get that building for a dollar a year in this white bleepity bleep guy gets it and he's going to colonize the community. So we held a community meeting. Over 250 people showed up. The first guy to grab the mic is a guy named Andre McCullough. We're very good friends now, but the first day we met there was uh, pretty intense and we were pretty serious enemies. And thanks to Andre and others for two and a half hours, I was called a colonizer. The community was being told they're being hoodwinked by Life Remodeled, that Life Remodeled sitting on a real estate gold mine. We're going to move in a bunch of white people in the community. We're going to create a bunch of services for wealthy people in this building, and all the black people are going to get kicked out. And the second meeting was even more volatile. There was crying, there was screaming, there was yelling. And at that point, I realized, wow. I need to shift a ton of my time away from my primary investment, which is fundraising and vision casting, to I need to sit down and have a lot of lunches and a lot of dinners and really understand why people feel the way they feel. What was really confusing to me was why we had had such great experiences in the other neighborhoods we were in, and now we were experiencing this. So through many conversations with Andre, who I just mentioned, and many others, I have learned a tremendous amount. One, I learned if we would have done what we did here in any of the other neighborhoods we worked in, Cody, Osborne, Denby, we would have gotten the same exact response. And there's a major difference between what we used to do and what we now do. 
So we used to go into a school, an existing school, renovate it, put five and a half million dollars in the community, and then we were out. Now that we're taking over real estate, we are a potential significant threat. And people began to explain to me that typically people who look like me, by the way, for those of you who can't see me, you listeners, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty white, a pretty white, white guy. Um, typically, guys who look like me who are given a building for a dollar a year behind closed doors don't have the best interest of the community in mind. Mm-hmm. And people began to explain, well, you know, why didn't I get a chance to get that building? Fair question, right? Um, and the, the realities of gentrification and displacement have destroyed neighborhoods throughout Chicago and New York. And uh, one can argue that that's happened to downtown and midtown. And so it's a very real concern for many people right here in this community. So fast forward to January of 2017. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, August of 2017. Okay. Same year as that interaction with Andre. We still weren't friends. We didn't see eye to eye. I loved him, but the feeling wasn't mutual at that point. Then we had our first six day project in this community with over 10,000 people. Andre McCullough called me up on day two. He said, hey, I got to come tell you something. I said, come on over, Andre. So Andre came to this building, met me in the gym, gave me a hug in front of about 10 people. He said, I've lived here my whole life. I'm 58. I've never seen anything happen in my neighborhood in the last two decades compared to what you all have done in the last two days. I'm in. So Andre joined the Life Remodel Community Advisory Council, which now consists of nine people who live in the community and they inform Life Remodeled on what the community wants to happen here. They bring, they represent the community's voice. And I just want to um, end this point with, I have learned just if not, just as much, if not more, from Andre than he has learned from me or from Life Remodeled. And that is why we call this Life Remodeled and not Detroit Remodeled, because this is about everybody becoming a better person yeah. wherever you live or wherever you don't live. People in the suburbs have just as much to learn as people living in poverty in Detroit. And those are broad strokes that I'm painting here, right? But the point is, often charity is a one-way focus of benefactors and beneficiaries. And the beneficiaries have all the answers. And the benefactors need to just put their hands out and say thank you. When we don't agree with that at all, we believe we all have a lot to give. And we all have a lot to learn. And I'm the first to say... I'm a lifelong learner. I got a lot to learn. Yeah. Wow. That's, I think that's really powerful because I think, you know, we talk a lot about, at least with this podcast, I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs and, and leaders who have uh, big visions for their specific communities. Um, and, and especially with the model of life for model and going to existing communities, it's, it's like a number one priority to, come in and have those conversations um, with the community to make sure there is no displacement. And so, you know, I think it's great that you were able to have that conversation and really turn uh, at least Andre around. And and Andre, I'm sure, is a leader in in this community um, to to really make sure that um, this thing is done right. Yes. And it's a collaborative effort, right, again, where we're learning from the community. So one of the biggest challenges we faced is This community did not and still does not to this day have a community advisory council that represents the larger body that's elected by the people. So when we were in Denby, Osborne, and Cody, all three of those neighborhoods had those alliances that represented large geographic areas, the whole area that we worked in. And it was very easy to find out what the community believed because you just go to the community advisory council and they're elected by the community. Well, we we realized we needed to form one 
of those who wanted to be on that advisory council. And so we have people from a wide variety of perspectives and their role is representing the community voice. And that has been beautiful. I am so proud of the chairwoman, Gina Peoples and Andre and the entire team. And really, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of what is coming ahead. Yeah, that's exciting. So speaking about coming ahead, what do you see um, is the, the growth trajectory and, and what do you see um, as the, the tasks that need to be done for the equitable growth of the neighborhoods of Detroit? So when I think about gentrification and displacement, those are two words that are used a lot in a lot of different circles, and there's literally hundreds of definitions to them. My understanding of the negative impacts of gentrification uh, would be this. When development begins to pour in a lot of money into an impoverished community or a resource-poor community, and that money is creating opportunity for people of means who most most of them don't already live there, okay? And to put that into context, so in De- Detroit public schools and charter schools in Detroit, 86% of kids currently don't read at grade level. 50% of adults are currently functionally illiterate. So it's not as simple as, well, we're just going to put all these jobs in this neighborhood because now you're talking about 50% of people might not be able to fully digest the application and really benefit from that process. And so to avoid gentrification, the negative effects, the wealth that's poured into a community has to be put into creating opportunities for those who've suffered the injustice for literally decades. So you talk about 86% of kids not reading at grade level, that is injustice that children have been dealt for decades, and that produces cycles of poverty. And to not deal with that inequity and to only focus on opportunity for people who already can read, that's just one of many, many factors, by the way, you're creating more injustice. And you're forcing people to have to leave when the rents will raise, when the home prices will go up. People who aren't able to adjust their incomes accordingly are going to have to find somewhere else, and displacing them is is damaging to their lives and it's damaging to society. So we're focused on creating opportunity for those who've lacked opportunity. Mayor Duggan says this. You know, he wasn't the first person to invent it, but we all love the saying that talent is evenly distributed around the world, but opportunity is not. And that's why we're in the business of creating that opportunity. And so for us, as life remodeled. Our role is not to create programs that already exist or to recreate them. Our role is to bring them together to one geographic area so that together they're representing needs of the community, but together they're better. I think we all agree no nonprofit has the solutions to all of society's challenges. And I think that we've lived in silos for far too long. I'm excited about a future of collaboration and we're seeing it happen already organically. We're about to move into a very organized um, way of going after collaboration and making much, much more significant impact. And that, I believe, is the future of what we're going to be focusing on is creating these hubs throughout Detroit and eventually around the country, because not only are they going to be socially impactful at a very high level in education, job creation, crime and human services, and we're going to measure that and, and prove that but they're going to be financially sustainable. So once we finish construction here, which this is a $4.8 million construction project, we got $800,000 to go. 
Maybe your listeners can solve that dilemma for me today. Hey, that'd be great. Um, throw a few bones, you know, Leanne's way as well, you know, if you're, if you're listening. Um, once we raise that money, we will never need to ask for another philanthropic dollar for this particular project ever again because it will run off of the leases, which are under market value, but we've priced them in a way that it's financially sustainable. And that is exciting for investors, for philanthropists, for the community to know this isn't going to be a flash in the pan. This isn't going to be some grand experiment that fails because of any reason you, you know, that, that typically projects like this have failed. But this is a well thought out business plan that has tremendous momentum. Yeah, that's exciting. So, you know, wrapping up here, before I ask the last question, where can people find uh, more info on Life Remodeled, on you, and, and, and anything else that you want to uh, highlight? Our website is liferemodeled.com, L-I-F-E-R-E-M-O-D-E-L-E-D.com. We are a 501c3, but we just use that .com for familiarity. And, of course, we're on social media, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff, just Life Remodel. But our next six-day projects, August 5th through 10th, we'll have over 10,000 volunteers right here in this community. Everybody is invited as long as you're 14 years of age or older. No skills are required. We'll provide the tools, free lunch, water, lots of good stuff. You'll meet a lot of great people and make a lot of impact along the way. That's exciting. So last question here, Chris. Uh, I always ask this to my listeners or, or to my guests. Um, what is the impact that you want to create on the world? Mm. Well, I can tell you me personally, for my personal motivation of why I do all this. So I always say that every day I want to become a little bit more like this certain Jewish construction worker who lived about 2,000 years ago, was brutally murdered, came back to life, and he saved my life. All right. He honestly is my motivation for everything I do. Now, I don't mean I'm going to be the savior of the world. That's the last thing. Um, I don't think that's meant to be replicated. There's one and only one. But I mean that the impact I want to make is reflecting the character of Jesus and the competency of Jesus, knowing that I'll never even come close. But that's my he's my North Star in that. And so for me, spending my life with people lacking opportunity, I believe is what he did with his life the most. That's where I want to invest my time, talents, and resources. And when I do leave this earth, I hope people will say, you know what? That guy did a pretty good job attempting to be like that Jewish construction worker, and uh, he motivated us and, and made an impact in our lives. That's exciting. And so, Chris, with that, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Leanne, for having me. All right, everyone. That was Chris Lambert of Life Remodeled. What do you think? Did you learn something? I hope you did, because it was is probably you know a really good thing to have somebody like that on the show because frankly we don't have enough conversations like that. If you listen to the episode with Human Inclusive with Leah and Christopher, you'll probably remember we talked about how intent is only the beginning of things. With intent, you know, intent at the first try. Sure, yeah, that matters because it's the first try. But if somebody pulls you aside and says hey, don't do that, like intent doesn't matter the second time around because then it's intentional. I think that's something really interesting that we can all sort of apply and, and actually take into context with the conversations we have uh, with others, especially you know in this sort of realm, specifically real estate and specifically Detroit real estate and you know all these different initiatives that go on 
uh, because I think it's an, not only an important conversation, but it's an important lesson to keep at the forefront of your mind when you're having these conversations. Okay, if you wanna check out his TEDx Detroit talk, it's in the show notes of this episode along with some more info that might possibly be helpful. Okay, with that, talk to you next time. <laughs>